What's up, people? Jose Nino is in the house with another episode of El Nino Speaks. There is trouble in Liberty Land, apparently. I'm here today with Reed Cooley, a writer at the Independent Institute and former vice president of communications for Young Americans for Liberty. How are you holding up these days, man? Well, I'm doing okay, Jose. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing fine. Quite busy with a lot of writing and podcasting, but it's always good to be busy. So there's been a lot of controversy, to say the least, the past few days about the direction Yao is heading. Before we dive into this latest controversy with Yao, could you give my audience a brief overview of your political background? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's a pretty short story with me. I started my journey with Liberty several years ago as a sophomore in college at Baylor University, where I got involved with the Young Americans for Liberty chapter there. That's about uh, 2014, 2015. I actually double majored in anthropology and history. I was an archaeologist that, that qualified me to go into historical archaeology. I worked on three archaeological projects before deciding that uh, I was ready to get back into the fight for liberty because liberty was what I cared about most. It was a far more important thing than basically digging up old dead people and their garbage. So I got involved with Young Americans for Liberty. Once again, several months after graduating, worked on uh, several campaigns uh, across the country, sort of in the Young Americans for Liberty sphere, before uh, going to work in a full-time communications capacity at Yale in 2018. Starting into in 2018, I built the communications and marketing apparatus that uh, you see at Young Americans for Liberty today. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to go for now. But yeah. I will admit this, that I haven't been on top of all the developments that are going down like at Yao lately. But I do understand that there's been a change in leadership at Yao that has taken the organization in a radically different direction from its founding so in what ways has the organization changed? And could you give some context about all of these changes? Sure thing. So I think it's probably best to try and tackle that question chronologically, if I may, Jose. So being in charge of the communications department, the Young Americans for Liberty, basically being the architect of everything, marketing and messaging at that company, I was put into a difficult position whenever our new CEO came in in the spring of last year. Her name was uh, Lauren Doherty. She was the former head of development at the Libertarian Party. And since really before day one of her starting her position as CEO at Young Americans for Liberty, it seemed pretty certain to me that she was hell-bent on strong-arming the company's branding in a, like you said, Jose, a radically different direction than the principles on which the company was founded. This put me in a difficult position over the next several months because of numerous creative injunctions that were issued that, uh, that I and my team felt like directly contradicted the organization's values. That is to say, the Ron Paul Revolution, right? Young Americans for Liberty was founded in 2008 as students for Ron Paul. And my mission was to try and make sure, within the best of my ability, that it continued to remain students for Ron Paul. So do you want me to kind of explain, Jose, some of the individual instances of this kind of thing occurring and how it sort of played out over the next several months? Yeah, do tell, spill all of the beans. Sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, the trouble began 
pretty instantaneously. Actually, it was a several days before uh, Lauren took office as Yale's CEO. This was the first instance. Young Americans for Liberty's a development team had coordinated with an outside consulting firm to get a sponsored article published in the Babylon Bee, meaning the Babylon Bee would run an article that would look just like any other article, but there would be an endorsement of Young Americans for Liberty at the end of it with a link redirecting people to donate to our page. Now, this came out, the Babylon Bee ran their sponsored piece. It basically looked like a glowing endorsement of Young Americans for Liberty from the Babylon Bee. Now, that was huge. It was really exciting for the staff, for the activists, for, for all of us. So the body paragraphs of this sponsored article showcased the work of one of our activists who was fighting a bunch of uh, SJWs on a college campus in upstate New York. They were just terrorizing the students and everything else. But at the end of the article, it said, you know, something along the lines of, to support an organization that fights CRT in the classroom, donate to Young Americans for Liberty, right? This upset Lauren, evidently. So she reached out to me, telling me that uh, she thought it was cool that we got published in the B, but that she felt like this article made us look like a bunch of, and I quote, privileged white kids. Whoa. So that was, uh, that was several days before Lauren even technically began her job as CEO. And it seems that a very uh, sincere concern on her heart was making sure that Yell didn't look like a bunch of privileged white kids. Now, I think you can understand why that was red flag number one. Yes. That's like a massive red flag that belongs like in a communist party meeting men. Yeah, absolutely. So that was uh, it's awful. It didn't seem like it belonged in, a, in an organization like students for Ron Paul. I can't imagine Ron Paul himself, you know, pulling his hair out, worried about whether he's going to look like a privileged white man, right? So just that, that sort of a race obsession was a recurring issue. It, it manifested itself in several instances, which have since gone viral on Twitter. In fact, if your audience would go to Tho Bishop's Twitter page and TJ Roberts' Twitter page, as well as the Twitter page of a few others like Mike Cernovich, Luke Rudkowski, and James Lindsay, they would see some of these other instances basically outlining issue areas where I had um, collided with Lauren pretty seriously. They range from uh, tweets of hers that are still up to screenshots of text messages that she sent to my private phone. So moving on to just sort of another really horrible instance of Lauren Doherty being, in my opinion, seriously out of line with uh, the Yao message. In early May, my communications team posted the first of several posts attacking Liz Cheney, right? That was exactly what my team was supposed to be doing. Liz Cheney is obviously, I don't need to expound to your audience how Liz Cheney is antithetical to Young (laughs) Americans for Liberty. At least I hope not. Yeah, no explanation necessary. Right, right. But Young Americans for Liberty was founded in opposition to the Bushes and the Cheneys. Well, uh, after we posted this, uh, one of our social media posts attacking Liz Cheney, Lauren reached out to me and said, uh, and I quote, My brain isn't at its best this week, but isn't what Liz Cheney is doing right now more aligned with our interests than other times. I don't see how criticizing her right now on her opposition to Trumpism is in your best interest. I frankly commend her for her courage on this one. So that is the CEO of Young Americans for Liberty contacting me directly, saying that uh, she praised Liz Cheney for her courage on her opposition to Trumpism, 
And she was questioning whether or not Yell should be attacking Liz Cheney for that very reason. If you go to Tho Bishop's Twitter page, you can see this. Her brain was definitely not at her best at that instance. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I, I would uh, hope not. But yeah, unfortunately, that wasn't even uh, close to the end of the issues that I was having with Lauren. That very same day, my communications team posted a graphic featuring a silhouette of an AR-15 with the caption reading, more guns, less government. Lauren then pinged me individually once again with the following questions. Food for thought. Are images of militant-looking guns undermining us? (laughs) Would images of less militant guns be better? (laughs) So apparently the AR-15 is too aggressive and militant of a gun for the CEO of Young Americans for Liberty. Meanwhile, I think that uh, at least some members of your audience could recall that Ron Paul himself campaigned with AR-15s in numerous campaign commercials, right? Numerous campaign ads. To say that the AR-15 is something that should be shied away from, it's a pretty standard weapon of self-defense, less powerful than most hunting rifles. That was just otherworldly and bizarre. And mind you, that actually happened the same day as my creative disagreement with Lauren on Liz Cheney. But it didn't even stop here. Fast forward to June. This is right about a month later, early June. Y'all posted a picture of Kamala Harris laughing into a microphone, right? Kamala Harris laughing into a microphone. We put a caption above it reading, find someone who laughs at your jokes the way Kamala Harris laughs at a question she doesn't know the answer to. Now, that's a pretty benign and not all that incendiary of a caption, right? Like, that's not too edgy, right? You're just poking fun at Kamala Harris because she doesn't know how to answer questions, which If you've ever watched a Kamala Harris press release, you would know. But uh, Lauren got angry at this, sent me a series of text messages ordering me to take the post down. Her justification was as follows. It looks really bad if we are calling the first non-white and female VP stupid, which is how many people will see this. I fought her on it, but uh, she said multiple times that it needed to be taken down. So her being the CEO... I did eventually have to take it down after giving some generous and healthy pushback. So yeah, you have a a person with clearly some sort of, uh, I don't think just to say, in my opinion, race obsession. In my opinion, you're also looking at someone who clearly has uh, some very leftist convictions on race. Even many centrist Democrats or even center of left Democrats would be okay with criticizing Kamala Harris, despite the fact that she's the first non-white female VP of the United States. And it's fair to say that an objection like this places Lauren Doherty firmly out of the realm of even cookie-cutter conservatives. So these were the kinds of creative objections, and these aren't even all of them. But Jose, just to bring it back to before we started talking about all these examples, these are the kinds of constant creative objections that the communications team at Yale and I had to deal with over the last year. And I think it's also accurate to say that I was the only member of the executive team, the only member of Yale's leadership who tried to push back on this. And to bring this story full circle, these creative differences kept surmounting uh, again and again and again because of Lauren's lack of alignment with the original principles of the organization Uh, So Young Americans for Liberty, they found it fit to terminate me 
Monday, February the 7th, which I'm okay with. If this is the direction they want to go in, it's not an organization that, that I want to be a part of. I joined Young Americans for Liberty because I wanted to fight for liberty, not liberalism. Well, I consider myself a bit of a liberal in the same sense as uh, Murray Rothbard or Ludwig von Mises, right? But certainly not a leftist. So that's what I had to deal with. And I had to try and fight my last year. And whenever the board of directors decided to terminate me, they simply attributed it to my, quote, unwillingness to follow Lauren's directives. That was it. There's nothing about performance, nothing about my record that could have been pointed to. It was simply the fact that I committed wrong think and Young Americans for Liberty, and in this case, wrong think was defending students for Ron Paul inside of what should have been Ron Paul's organization. Pretty wild stuff. It's really a microcosm of how the way the Liberty movement has gone over the past like decade. I've been in this political scene since 07, and I've seen just like a total deterioration of things. And this whole Yao chapter from my vague impression and from what I'm gathering from you, which is total clown world stuff, is that the liberty movement is like pretty much a rotting corpse at this point. Um, yeah. So I've been acquainted with Yao since I would say like 09, and especially when I got into UT that same year, UT Austin. And... I've interacted with numerous members and I've been to the, all the events. I always had a strong impression about the organization. I've always seen Yao prior to this whole incident as like a pretty solid pillar for the advocacy of like Ron Paul Republican type of ideals. But now that it's gone way leftward, what issues do you think Yao will go leftward or flat out neocon from here on out? Well... It's worth noting, first off, that just hours after terminating me, Young Americans for Liberty brought in a new member of the executive team. Now, I don't know if it's accurate to say that he was he's my replacement because, to my understanding, my position is vacant now, and this person has a very different title than the one I had. But uh, Brendan Steinhauser, Yale's new chief strategy officer, to my understanding, they've never had a chief strategy officer was Dan Crenshaw's campaign manager. Red flag. Yes, 100%. So he was he was Dan Crenshaw's campaign manager. In 2018, he penned a glowing blog praising Dan Crenshaw's courage and leadership. This person also worked on campaigns for Marco Rubio, John Cornyn, and Nikki Haley. And yeah, in addition to that, he has a very long record of supporting war in uh, Russia and Afghanistan. So actually, to be more accurate, so back in August, he, he posted several tweets, which are still up, actually condemning the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And in December, he posted several tweets arguing that the United States needed to, to show Russia strength, that it needed to show strength in the midst of the Ukraine crisis. So this is a person whose immediate history leading up to the beginning of his time with Yao, is strongly in the, in the direction of neoconservatism. In addition to that, it has been widely observed by several staffers that Lauren has begun creating positions across the organization in which to put old friends of hers from within the Libertarian Party. It would not be kosher of me to mention these individuals' names, but uh, this has been a complaint of the Young Americans for Liberty staff 
for some time. Is uh, Lauren bringing in friends of hers from, for example, the Libertarian Party of Texas, right? Whose Twitter page is perhaps the cringiest of all of them, of all of the Libertarian Party state pages, right? 100%. Yes, absolutely. And in addition to that, Lauren brought in her campaign manager from whenever she ran for Justice of the Peace in Waco, Texas in 2016. Obviously, another LP leaning individual. So she's creating new positions inside the company, or she's backfilling other people's jobs with with people who will replace them one day coming from the Libertarian Party. So to answer your question as far as my prediction on which direction Yao will take on certain issues, we have more than enough reason to suspect that on foreign policy, Yao will go in a very sort of neoconservative direction. You'll see a lot more reluctance to condemn war, a lot more justification for military action, messaging that is a lot more friendly towards the military or the Pentagon or the military-industrial complex. On social issues, I think that you'll see a very strong social justice strain continuing to embed itself deeper and deeper into the company's DNA. So I think that what you're going to wind up with is essentially Raytheon with rainbows. You're going to wind (laughs) up with the woke war machine in charge of Yao's branding, or at least deeply influential on it, much more influential than it should be. So yeah, the woke war machine, yeah, I think that's a lot of what we're going to start to see, right? This is pure, raw, unfettered statism, two very hideous forms of it, neoliberalism and neoconservatism, injecting itself into the identity of young Americans for liberty. And the Ron Paulers inside of the organization, the people who understand the original philosophy, who believe in the original philosophy, not just myself, but others still inside the organization who really cling to the original foundation of the organization, they're finding themselves to feel like outsiders inside of their own organization. And that's an extremely sad and unfortunate thing. Yeah, my vague impression from all this with this like wokeification of Yao is that, like the way this new CEO talks is sounds like almost like this corporate HR boss lady that's just laying out a bunch of woke strictures that you have to like comply with. It's really just another sign of how pervasive this woke mind virus is. And it's really sad that it's claimed yep. Yao as a victim. So I still like can't really wrap my head around this leadership change because you would think that the Yao board would select someone that is at least like ideologically aligned with the org. But why do you think that Lauren Daugherty, who holds pretty leftist views, ended up being selected as the CEO? Because it's what the board of directors wanted. I don't think that uh, this is a situation with Young Americans for Liberty that that company can simply fire its way out of. That's not how this works. The board of directors saw something in Lauren Doherty that they liked. They had a new ideological direction in which they wanted to carry things. This is corruption and lack of alignment at the highest level inside the organization, at a level that is beyond reproach. Anyone hoping to reform the organization from within will be left with absolutely no institutional recourse with which to do so. So. I will say that one member of the board of directors, it has just been revealed, and this is on Twitter. You can go to TJ Roberts' Twitter and find the screenshots for yourself. This individual donated to a congressional candidate here in Texas named Julie Oliver. 
and Julie Oliver ran for Congress here in Texas on an openly Medicare for all ticket. And she was endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Man. A member of the Yao Board of Directors donated to that individual's campaign. And it is widely believed that that particular member of the Board of Directors is the reason Lauren Doherty got her job in the first place. So there's another dimension to it. In January of 2021, Young Americans for Liberty's treatment of women was brought into serious question in the public eye because of a series of allegations levied against our now former CEO. In my opinion, it's very accurate to say that the fact that Lauren Doherty was hired was an attempt to placate a sort of left libertarian feminist mob that had come for the organization. And the board of directors hired Lauren Doherty, not just because she embodied the ideological direction they wanted to take things, but because they wanted to try and placate that mob, which reality turned out to be a very critical and catastrophic overcorrection of the problem. So yeah, that's that. One more thing worth noting, that board member that I mentioned a few minutes ago, to my understanding, he was a, a major speaker at an LNC convention at some point in the last seven years, around the time that Bill Weld was put on the presidential ticket for the LP as a running mate. Why that's important is because it's also come to light that Lauren Doherty gave money to Bill Weld's presidential campaign in 2020, in which he ran as a Republican to the left of Donald Trump in a very futile attempt to take the Republican nomination away from Trump. Bill Weld, whenever he ran for president in that ticket, he never mentioned the free market once on his campaign page and campaigned on reasonable and responsible gun control, as he called it. This is the same Bill Weld that served on the board of directors at Raytheon in years prior, something for which he came under sharp criticism from people like Dave Smith and Tom Woods. Yeah, so you really do see an injection of the Bill Weld branch of the Libertarian Party, somehow or another, making its way to the top of the company via the board of directors. So that is what's happened. The Joe Bishop Henchman Caucus and the Nick Sarwar Caucus, really the same caucus here, they've taken over Young Americans for Liberty and essentially turned it into an extension of uh, the LNC. Wild stuff, man. But yeah, I mean, I've known you always as a pretty politically astute guy and definitely not a pushover. When you saw that Yao was going off the rails, what did you do to push back? Jesus, what all did I do to push back? It's actually really hard to enumerate because every single day, it seemed I was at Young Americans for Liberty from the moment that Lauren Doherty took charge as CEO to the moment I was terminated, I had to fight back on something. I had to push back on something. I had to be the voice of reason inside the executive team meetings, explaining that, no, this is completely out of line with, with students for Ron Paul. I guess the other executives who it didn't strike me that any of them really knew or understood anything about the Ron Paul revolution, I probably just tended to be a thorn in their side because I was the one leader amongst the company's leadership who actually cared about the ideas on which the company was originally founded. I had to fight every single day. It really did seem like every single day, Jose, whether it was just 
being in an executive team meeting or being on an email thread or being in some sort of strategy call and having to say, no, that is not how things are done within the Ron Paul revolution. No, that is off brand. No, that does not match our values. No, that does not belong here. It was a a really repetitive thing. And something that I was telling a good friend of mine this morning, a guy named Brady Leonard, is that uh, he he hosts uh, the No Gimmicks podcast. Something I had to tell him this morning was that it didn't take long for me to feel like I wasn't fighting tyrants outside of the organization anymore, that I was fighting tyrants inside of my organization. And that's a really depressing feeling as you see COVID tyranny, you know, swelling and just getting worse and worse in all these different forms. I mean, here we are, and we don't know what Justin Trudeau might do to some of these truckers up in Canada, for example. So it's a form of tyranny that, that extends even beyond the borders of this country. Everything that's happened with just COVID tyranny, for example, over the last couple of years, and you feel like you're being handcuffed from fighting that because you're having to fight a different form of tyranny inside of your own company, a company where it should not have been welcome in the first place. That's a pretty sad feeling, man. Undoubtedly, a sad and devastating feeling to see an organization that I used to have the utmost respect for stoop to such lows. Now, I see like organizations as always having like some degrees of like factionalism, which can actually be like beneficial and at least offer certain forms of like dissenting opinions. Are there any people that you know within Yao at the moment that share similar concerns about the organization's leftward lurch and who are actually willing to put Yao on the right path? I don't know. If there are people inside the organization who feel the way I do, and who think that they might have uh, that they might have the energy it takes to fight back from within? My advice is to get out, because that organization does not want you anymore. That organization is not your home. Find another place in this world where you can take the Ron Paul Revolution, right? Where you can take this amazing philosophical tradition forged out of centuries of history and passed down to us, right? A philosophical tradition really originating with Magna Carta, but being rekindled by John Locke, right, and making its way through our own revolution, you know, the libertarian revolution that began this country, as Murray Rothbard described it, was born elsewhere through the, to the Austrian school of economics, then was rekindled once again by Ron Paul. Find another place to take that revolution, that American revolution, that Ron Paul revolution, because I would say that uh, the flame is but a flicker inside of that organization. And the revolution doesn't live there. If it does, it's at best on life support. And like I said, if there's anybody in that org who feels this way, get out and do our movement a favor and carry it to a new institution somewhere else where it can can live and thrive. So this leads into like my final question. Would you say that with Yao's descent into leftism, that the liberty movement is pretty much dead in the water at this point? No, I don't. This is probably where you and I disagree. I, I don't agree with your assessment that, it, that it's a rotting corpse, Jose. The, the fight for liberty is eternal, and it leaves one institution and joins another. This is the natural progression of things. I don't think that the fight for liberty is dead. Whether it exists in this thing that we currently call the liberty movement or whether it manifests itself into a different kind of movement altogether, I don't know. But no, I don't think that it's dead. 
No, I know that there are organizations out there with people who believe in libertarianism, right? And who are trying to carry these values elsewhere. And what I feel like will happen is more institutions will rise. I think that uh, that something new is going to rise from the ashes here. I do. I don't think that this is dead. I do think that it would be incredibly dangerous for the Ron Paul revolution to be monopolized by an organization as unstable institutionally as Young Americans for Liberty. But uh, no, I don't believe that this movement is dead. I believe that uh, now is the time for people just like us, people like your listeners, to rise up here, to take this country back, to take this world back. I think that it's on us to reverse all of the mistakes, all of the authoritarianism, all of the tyranny of the 20th century and make the 21st century about repealing the 20th. So I think that our best days can still be ahead, but it will require action on us to make sure that this liberty movement, as you call it, isn't dead, which I don't believe it is. Yeah, I I actually agree with your point that it'll just like shift to like more productive activity, especially like single issue coalitions, which are always like alive and have been pretty successful, such like the Second Amendment. And you see a lot of the same faces that hold a lot of these ideas go to those orgs. It just probably means at least for the short term that like institutional, like libertarianism, if you will, is kind of no longer a viable vehicle. But there's always, as long as like there's like people and like talented people that hold these ideas, they can infiltrate other institutions or build their own institutions that will carry out the message. And I think that's important. The one point that really resonated with me, Reed, that you made was about taking the Ron Paul revolution to other organizations because Yao like now is clearly like it's it's a sinking ship and you don't want any part of it. There's no point in trying to uh, rectify that situation. It's gone. And it's probably better that people go with like more established organizations such as like NAGR, which has tons of former Ron Paul people or like GOA and stuff like that, take their talents elsewhere there where they can actually have an impact. No, I 100% agree. There are places in this world where people will be welcomed with open arms. And I think that more of those organizations, more of those institutions will come along. And it's on us to seek them out and to build them, if necessary, ourselves. So no, I don't believe that this movement is dead. I'm not a defeatist by any stretch of the imagination. And let's be honest with ourselves. What Young Americans for Liberty does to this movement should not scare any of us. Because if we live our lives the right way, then the state will try and do far worse things to us than a small company like Young Americans for Liberty ever could. So uh, no, I don't think that this can be anything close to the end of, of us. I think that uh, there's, a, there's a fairly profound quote from the Lord of the Rings, which I'd like to cite now, if that's okay with you, and that is, uh, faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, right? I think that, uh, that that's an excerpt that's immediately applicable to the situation where we are now. Oh, yeah, I agree. In politics, you have to adapt. Like whenever like an institution fails, you have to kind of just like learn how to pivot because as long as you have like talented individuals and whatever type of issue you're pushing, you can just always find another organization or build another organization where you can carry out your your legacy. It's just that the quote unquote liberty movement, since I've been around for like well over a decade, you'll see like changes and people just have to realize that work like in 07 is not going to work now and just have to like adapt to it not like give up because if you're that talented there's like no excuse for you to like throw in the towel 
But it's clear that a lot of these like DC-based orgs are going kind of in the wrong direction. And personally, I prefer more state-based local action. That's one of like the big themes I harp on yep. in all the outlets I write for. Yeah, I agree. DC-based uh, organizations always tend to be corrupted. I mean, it's something that we see again and again, different staffers, different leaders at these DC-based think tanks or nonprofits or whatever they may be. They'll engage in one trade-off after another in order to get this connection or to get that donor or that donor. And it doesn't take long. A few really terrible decisions, and uh, they're no longer an organization that they recognized whenever they first started. So, But it's not just D.C.-based organizations. Let's point to the example of Young Americans for Liberty example. It's not based in D.C. It's based in Austin, Texas, which seems to indicate that maybe there's something wrong with organizations that headquarter themselves so close to these different extensions of government, right? Mm. Uh, So it's not just D.C. I think that it probably applies to the state capitals as well. That's why I'm such a huge advocate of uh, of state and local-based groups. I also happen to believe in radical decentralization as one of the most promising and exciting concepts which we may witness in our lifetime. And I think that action on, on a sort of local grassroots level to nullify the federal government and nullify the state governments when necessary, I think that uh, this is a very promising avenue for liberty in our lifetime. But uh, that doesn't start with these corporate D.C.-based groups. That begins uh, in the countryside, as all good revolutions do. 100%. That's a big theme of mine. And this is a great way to conclude this episode because, Reed, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I found this conversation both saddening and illuminating, but also leaving on like a pretty hopeful note, because I'm pretty confident that most people that were very solid at YAL, they will find new avenues in these decentralist projects that are popping up everywhere and organizations that are actually making a difference, such as like the Second Amendment orgs that are making constitutional carry a standard in red states. There's going to be plenty of opportunities. So yeah, that's just politics for you. And people just have to move along and maintain the course because right. you just cannot like yield at like any sign of adversity. Part of this whole process is like taking these blows. So yeah, go ahead and plug your stuff, man. Well, you can find me on Twitter at J Reed Cooley, letter J R E E D C O O L E Y, or on Instagram at Reed Cooley at R E E D C O O L E Y. Thank you so much, Reed. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, sir. To my listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of El Nino Speaks. El Nino has spoken.